today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to re-go over what it is we started to talk about last week. Last week we were speaking about becoming powerful. This week we're going to speak about becoming wise. Jesus commanded us. He said, uh, there's a profound thing that he said in Matthew 10. He said, be wise as serpents and gentle or harmless as doves. That's a very, very profound metaphor, and it's loaded with um, many ideas. But one of, one of the things about a serpent is that a serpent knows how to move properly in its environment undetected until it fully apprehends what it's going for. Number one, that's the first thing about a serpent. The second thing about a serpent is a serpent sheds its old skin and fully puts off its old man, never to be taken back up again. The dove metaphor. Doves, no, they're, they're not predator-type birds, right? So they eat like greenery, right? So they're not very aggressive animals. So what they have to have is wisdom or discernment because they don't have brute force. And so God created everything to sit within its own environment and to operate in that environment. That's why fish, sometimes if you look at fish, they have eyes on both sides. You ever see fishes like that? Because those are not predators. So they have to be able to see because they're prey. Right? Deers. Deers have something in, in, in their... You know where night vision, army night vision comes from? It comes from deers. Deers see just as clearly in the night as they do in the day. Birds, they have a pineal gland. The pineal gland inside the bird tells them to migrate toward the sun. Right? So what, what's, what's the thing with a dove? Jesus said to be as gentle as a dove. When Noah opened the ark, the dove knew where to land. The dove knows where to operate from. The dove knows who to rest upon. Where is a place of peace? The dove is an animal that knows how to find peace. And how to operate from a place of peace. So there's two metaphors that Jesus is describing wisdom in a, in a full way. He's saying know where to operate from. Know how to move in your environment. Know how to put off the past. Know how to see into the future. Remember the dove came back with the branch. The dove came to announce it's a new season. Right? So we have to really understand wisdom. I feel that wisdom is very essential in this season of time. And the reason I say that is because we are always presented with new opportunities. And if we don't have wisdom, we will be sidetracked by things that are distractions that are not meant for us. Things that look good but are not God. And not every opportunity that you get is an open door. And when the favor of God is resting upon your life, the favor of God will open up doors for you that are not for you. This is verse 20, First uh, Chronicles 29, verse 1. Furthermore, David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now the house of God... I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things to be made of silver, bronze for things to be made of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones to be set, glistening stones. Seems like David wanted some ice in the temple. Of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, marble slabs in abundance. Now, let me just say this. This message was designed... For the purpose of seeing the immeasurable value of wisdom. Wisdom is to apply knowledge correctly. You can have knowledge, but if you don't apply it correctly, it will not fulfill its purpose in your life. Let me, let me just share with you a few things about wisdom. Wisdom affects everything. Wisdom affects who you will and who will, you will not listen to. Wisdom affects all of your relationships. Wisdom affects all of your decisions. Wisdom determines the legacy that you will leave. Wisdom affects how and when you speak. Wisdom knows what to listen for. If someone has wisdom, they hear things differently. They know what to listen for. 
when you see Solomon, we're going from a transition from David to Solomon. David was a man of war. Because David was a man of war, Solomon, his son, could have peace. David committed adultery and murdered the husband, Uriah, of the woman Bathsheba that he slept with. They lost the first baby. Solomon was the second. God in his mercy brought forth a king from David's sin. God can take our mess and turn it into a message. Even in our failures, we see God's faithfulness. It's clear in 1 Chronicles 1, 29, 29-1 rather, that God chose Solomon to be king. It wasn't just nepotism. It wasn't just, he's my son, I'm the king. There, there was a calling on his life. God himself chose Solomon to be king to illustrate his covenant faithfulness that even when David was not faithful, couldn't keep his pants on, he lied, he wasn't in, he was supposed to be in war, he wasn't behaving, he let, it led to murder, he was not a very nice boy. Even through his sin and even in his sin, God's covenant faithfulness is manifested because God made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He made a promise to David and now it's being fulfilled and it's going to, be, it's going to come to Solomon and it's going to continue down eventually until Jesus shows up. You're going to see, though, the result of, of bad decisions and the result of good decisions. And so I think that this will be um, helpful for you. David also understood that God was the father to the nation of Israel. And uh, let's get into 29 now. I'm, gonna, I'm jumping down in 29 because I'm going to cover several um, chapters. David was thankful that he offered um, you know, to the Lord and that the people offered to the Lord willingly. There was something about people will be willing in the day of God's power. God's power makes us willing to partner with him for his purposes. And um, it's, it's very, very critical uh, that we become willing. And if we're not willing, right, it's okay. We can pray that God would help us to become willing. Because when you're not willing, everything is an excuse. It's always something else. It's not yes, it's always some other thing. Why you can't, why it's too complicated, why you're too busy, why you don't have money for it, why it's always excuse. Versus when you're willing, you have a whole different spirit and a different mentality. And someone who's willing thinks, how can we make this work? Not how can I get out of it? How can I not do it? How can I just, that's not, and it's okay. The good news is that if we're not willing, we can just be honest and say, God, I'm really not all that willing. I actually like my will. I actually want to do what it is that I want to do, and I need help. And then he will orchestrate situations that will help you see that his way is actually a better way. Verse 9, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced. Do you see the connection between loyalty and willingness? I don't know if you see that. Loyalty and will, a loyal heart. If my heart is loyal to the Lord, not to what I want, not to what is convenient for me, not to what is easy for me. If my heart is loyal, I am willing. Just wanted to show you that. Verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory. Victory and majesty for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted and head over all. Watch this. Both riches and honor come from the devil. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. I'm sorry. It, it actually says both riches and honor come from you. You reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand, watch this is to make great and to give strength to all. So when someone is great, it's because God has chosen that. It's very interesting. Now therefore, O oh God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. And your own we have given you. In other words, what we have given you belongs to you anyway. In other words, your kingdom is forever, 
and you have no needs, but you allow us to participate with you in your purposes. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you as our fathers. Our days are on earth are a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. Do you see how David understands that what he has is not his? Someone who is poor in spirit understands that what they have is not theirs. All right, let's continue. It's going to get good, don't worry. I know also, my God, that you test the hearts. Excuse me, hold on. Yeah, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham and Isaac, our fathers, keep this forever. Watch this. In the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. This is David is praying. He's about to give Solomon the kingdom. He's making an address to the nation. Think about it as like a president on the White House mall. He's speaking to the nation. There's a transition of power. His son is coming in. And now he's, he's like an old man and he's reminding them of that which is important. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. And they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. On the next day, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. So they ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time and anointed him before the Lord to be the leader and Zadok to be the priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered. And all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders and the mighty men and all the sons of the king submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all of Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as has not ever been on a king before him in Israel. Then David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And that period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. So he's just reminding us that David was the king for 40 years, which is exactly a whole entire generation. In the Bible, 40 years is a generation. Okay. After that period reigned over was 40 years, seven years he reigned in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So for the first seven years he reigned in Hebron until he moved into the fullness of his kingdom seven years later and then occupied Jerusalem which also then became known as the city of David, the very city where God himself wrote his name. And he did it in the blood of his son. And that's why that land is, 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 so, is so priceless because the blood of Jesus was poured out on that land. And that's the contention. And that's why there's two antichrist peoples fighting for that land. So he died in good old age, full of days, and riches and honor, and his son Solomon reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Samuel the seer. In the book of Nathan the prophet, in the book of Gad the seer, with all his reign and his might. And the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to the kingdoms of the lands. Now, this is very interesting. The Bible mentions two books that are not in the Bible. Did you see that? Nathan, the book of Nathan, and the book of Gad the seer. Nathan is a prophet. A prophet is one who's moved from within, who hears and speaks. A seer is someone who sees things and speaks what they see. There are two different types of prophets. They function differently. God had two set prophets around David at all times to keep him on track because he was a wild boy so he needed he needed to be checked on both sides all right some of us need people 
around us to make sure that that we stay on track. Some of us are a little wild. We need we need to be surrounded, so to speak, right? Not you. Me. Now, this is uh, chapter 1 of 2 Chronicles 2. I just want to make a few comments that I think are very, very important. All of us have a sense of purpose, of of more in our life. We, we believe things about God that we don't really see fully manifest in our life. We feel called. We feel that we want to serve uh, people in other nations. We feel that we want to be a blessing in certain ways. There's, all of us are, in some sense, m- moving toward who we're created to be on some level. With, with, with different levels of intensity, different levels of intentionality, in different realms of maturity. But we're, we're here sitting or watching or listening because there's something inside of you that says, I want to move forward in the kingdom. I want to receive what God has for me, and I want to, I want to do something with it. And I, I want to just share just one principle that is foundational to that happening in your life. This is not seven steps or 12 steps. This is one-step program here, and this is it. It's God has to be first. If he's not first, no negotiating. It's not like, let's, let's make a deal. It's either he's first or he's not. And there's something profound here that you see. You're going to see it again in a few minutes. The nation offers thousands of burnt offerings. Thousands, right? It would be like us lighting cars on fire. We'd light a thousand Benzes on fire, a thousand BMWs. He's burning offering, and the smell is rising to heaven. There's something sweet about sacrifice. There's something there. There's a fragrance released in sacrifice. And so it's actually not about the death of the animal. It's actually about the life of the animal, which is a whole other thing. But, but anyway, the, the point of, of what, what's happening here, this is, the, this is the principle for us. You see that they offered to the Lord... Before that they ate. Did you see that? You see that they offered to him first before they ate. This is, this is what's critical. Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then what? All these things will be added to you. So the Lord will not add to you. The Lord will not add to me. Unless he is first. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will then... Give you the desires of your heart. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your, of your, um, your harvest. So that your barns would overflow and your presses would press forth with new wine. So there's something about God being first. First commandment. I shall have no other gods before me. Either he's first or he's not. And if we want to live in the blessing of God. And we want to live with that which he's designed there's only one way to enter into that, and that is not, it's not about working ourselves into something. It's not about working for it. He provided it, but we can only receive it when we put him first. This is, this is something that I, I could spin my wheels doing the Christian thing, but if he's not first, I'm not going to enter into what he has. I'm going to frustrate myself. I'm going to frustrate people around me. And I'm going to live with a sense of frustration because he's not going to add to someone who is not putting him first. There's something very critical about us not being ruled by our appetites. They were saying God is worthy and his worth is above our desires. His worth is above our needs. His worth is above what we want. God is not looking to starve his people, but there's something profound in putting him first. You're going to see the Lord appears to Solomon. The Lord appears to Solomon in a dream. The Lord appears to Solomon in a dream after Solomon made sacrifices to the Lord. Not before. There is something about when you put him first... And this is not about money. This is about the heart. Because if he has your heart, he has your treasure. Because wherever your heart is, your treasure is also. Which means that if he is first, all of the things that he requires from us are not a burden. They're our privilege. It's, it's, a, different, it's a different mindset. It's not, it's, not, it's not hard. It's actually an honor to contribute to someone who has no needs. 
by him receiving from us, he's allowing us to be basically to, to receive honor and dignity. All right, let's continue. Now Solomon, and Solomon the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord God was with him and magnified him exceedingly. Do you see what, what's happening? The Lord is magnifying Solomon. What, what, what is it to magnify something? For you guys who are a little older, you have magnifying glass. My grandmother always used it. She had a mirror. It was like, I could like, you know, you could see like the roots of your pimple. Like it magnifies things, right? Now, we don't really do magnifying glasses. What we do is we tap our phone and it zooms in. So the Lord called Solomon and zoomed in on him, so to speak. He changed the way the people perceived him so that he could get the job done. See, sometimes perception is more important than reality. Sometimes if people don't perceive you correctly, they will not participate with you. So God magnifies Solomon, not for Solomon. God magnifies Solomon for his purposes in the earth. I'm going to jump to verse 6 of chapter 1. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Solomon's like a generous guy. On that night, God appeared to him. Now you're saying, this is all testament stuff. No. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was a, ge- a generous man who prayed and gave, prayed and gave. He feared the Lord. Two expressions of the fear of the Lord is praying and giving. He feared the Lord. He prayed, he gave. He received an angelic encounter and the gospel went to the Gentiles through his home. Open heart, open heavens, open heavens, open pocket. Open pocket, blessing of the Lord. This is not about giving. This is a principle that if you honor God and if you put him first, you then position yourself to be a part of what he's doing. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which is at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. On that night God appeared to him, Solomon, ask what you shall and I will give you. Do you imagine if God showed up and asked you what you wanted, I'm going to give it to you? Think about that. Think about the different things that would be... The, think about what we would ask God for. I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to leave that alone. But I know some of us would ask God for some wild stuff. But he doesn't ask God for something. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David my father... And have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established. For you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Do you remember that God promised Abraham in innumerable company, a a people like the sand on the seashore? Solomon, when God appears to him, is reminding God of his own faithfulness. He says, you've been merciful to my father. You've been faithful to my promise. You've given me the responsibility to care for a people that is without number. In other words, the nation has truly increased. This is a big responsibility. So now watch what's in his heart. I want you to hear what's in his heart. This is very, very important. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established. For you have made me a king over people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. Who can judge this great people of yours? You hear whose people they are? They're not Solomon's people. They're the Lord's people. People don't belong to pastors or churches. People belong to the Lord. Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but I've asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people. 
over whom I have made you king. Who made him king? God made him king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any have after you have the like. In other words, you're going to become now the high watermark. No one before you and no one after you is going to have what you have. Why? Because your heart was in the right place. You didn't ask for things. You didn't ask for revenge. You didn't ask for power. You asked to be faithful to do your job correctly because you love my people. See, him knowing what to ask God for is a result of him seeing his father. And his father, even though he made mistakes, was not a good boy all the time. His father loved the people of God. So because of what he saw and because of what he observed and because his heart was in the right place, he knew what to ask for. Here's, here's, here's what it comes down to. Because his heart was for the people of God, God blessed him. God will bless you when you have a heart for his people. It's just that simple. This is, he's, he's asking the Lord to give him knowledge and to give him wisdom so that he can govern correctly. So he doesn't want to abuse or misuse power. So to properly use authority and to properly use power, you have to have knowledge and you have to have wisdom. You have to make decisions according to knowledge and you have to walk those decisions out according to wisdom. Wisdom is to apply knowledge correctly. Wisdom in a new covenant context comes through revelation. So you cannot have in the new covenant, you cannot have wisdom unless God first brings forth revelation. But just because you have revelation, just because you saw something, doesn't mean you know what to do with it. Wisdom is to take the revelation and to take the knowledge that you have received and then apply it correctly so that it can bear fruit in your life and in the life of others. If I have spiritual experiences, I don't know what the heck they mean. They're of no value to you. When I have spiritual experiences and I know what they mean according to what God said in his word, then they become valuable to those that I share them with. I don't know if you guys are with me here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is King Solomon. That's what he said in the Proverbs. So what that means, practically speaking, is this. When you make decisions, keep in mind that one day you will have to give an account to God for those decisions. God will hold us accountable for our thoughts, words, and actions. Let me, let me share with you someone who is wise. Someone who is, is wise takes their own advice. The things that we say to other people to do, we ourselves should do. That's, that's how you know if someone is wise. They can, it's, anyone can dish out advice. Anyone can dish out, if I was you, I would do this. But you're you, and what are you doing? <laughs> let's continue for a few minutes. I might jump, you know what? I might jump in Proverbs for a minute, but let's see what time does. Um... Solomon, this is very interesting. Uh, in verse 15, let me, let me just share with you some things that he did. I'll, I'll give you 15 and then 17. He's very, very strategic. Um, in 15, in verse 15, it says, And the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as the sycamore, which are in the lowlands. Cedar trees are very expensive. Even today, very expensive guitars. The top of the guitars are made in cedar wood or redwood. It's very expensive. I'm talking about $5,000, $10,000. Guitars that you strum in and you're like, whoo, it's just, there's a different tone and a different sound that comes forth from this type of wood. It's precious wood have very uh, expensive exclusive ones in California. They're called California Redwoods. So here the cedars is referring to the cedars usually of Lebanon. It's a certain type of wood and it's exclusive and expensive wood. So what he's saying is here is that he made commodities like rocks. In fact when he was a king there was no poverty. There was, there was actually, this is, a, this is a picture of the kingdom when he was a king, there was gold and silver piled outside of the wall of the city in Jerusalem. He says that, it says this, that king, uh, also the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. 
you know, stones like, you know, little pebbles on the road. Could you imagine you walk outside the, the city gate and there's piles of money there? The kingdom doesn't lack for anything. The kingdom has no lack. The kingdom has no need. Our job is to connect the supply of heaven to the, resource, to the need on earth. That's, that's what we're here for. We're here not to go to heaven when we die. We're here to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We're here to connect the supply to the need. We're connectors. We're not here to acquire things for ourselves, to feel better about ourselves, to get better things, which I'm fine with all that. But that's not why we're here. We're here to connect heaven and earth. Verse 17. They also acquired and imported Egypt, the chariot of 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Thus, their agents, they exported to them all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So what does he do? He goes to Egypt. He buys uh, chariots, which are like tanks. Think of tanks. He buys tanks and then he sells them to the Hittites and to Syria. He's a businessman. He's doing business. I don't know if... The, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. He's doing kingdom business. He's doing strategic business in the region that he's located in. Next chapter. Second Chronicles 2. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. Did you, did you see the, the order there? Did you see the order there again? A house for the Lord, and then a house for himself. He's first. We are not. Not my needs, not my desires, not my feelings. Him. Him first. Not second. Jesus does not want our leftovers. He's not interested in our leftovers. He's interested in that which is first. When it speaks in the Bible about the tithes and the first fruit of your increase, that's not the first $100 of your check. There's something very different than that. As soon as your fields, this is an agricultural society, as soon as your fields begin to sprout up the harvest, you take that which is first and you give it to him. It's different. It's not just your first $100 of your $1,000 paycheck. That's not what this is about. There was a sense of expectation, a sense of faith attached to it. Something different than sometimes going through the motion. It's, it's, an, it's an inward thing that honors God first. And that's how we see things break loose for us. We will not see things really break loose for us in the way that God intends if we don't put him first consistently. It's a very miserable Christian existence to put God like, on like the back burner and everything else is first. That's not, that's, that's not Christianity. Verse 11. This is, uh, this is interesting. This is another king in the region. Then Haram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon, because the Lord loves his people, he made you king over them. This is important. So God, out of love for his people, appoints leaders over his people who will govern correctly. Why? Because when there is a proper and a good government, it creates an environment of peace and prosperity where people can thrive in. That's the role of government. The role of government is not to pay your medicine and to give you a free house. The role of government is to facilitate peace within the geographical borders of its of its rule, so that you can do what you need to do. The government is not your daddy. The government is not here to give you a house and give you a car and give you an Obama phone. That's not what the government is for. No, it's not. When the government starts to do that, it begins to rape the people because it begins to fulfill a role that is not theirs. That's why people are angry. The government should be doing more. Why don't you get up and do something? All right. Verse 12. Hear him also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who made heaven and earth. 
And he'd given David a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. Now, do you see what's happening? This is important. I remember years ago, I worked for a plumber, and he used to call me meat, because I was the meat. I was the young guy. I got everything. I got lunch. I, drove, I, I was meat, so he called me meat. He goes, so meat, let, let me get this straight. He goes, so the way it works is Jesus and then you? I go, yes, that, that's what I'm saying. You got it. Great. Now you have a heathen king, and the heathen king is going, well, wait a second. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. So now the heathen king, through observing Solomon's kingdom, understands that God is the creator. Watch, just, just follow this. This is the power of a testimony. This is the power of we live right in front of people, what they see about us. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who made heaven and earth. For he was given king, uh, David, uh, a wise son, endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord, you hear it again, and a house for himself. Now, the heathen king who he's doing business with sees Solomon puts God first. That's what makes us different. Never mind what people think about you. Never mind all that. Forget about that. What does God think about you? What does God say about you? Because those people that don't think well of you are not going to pay your bills. They're not going to die for your sins. They don't care about you. Why am I going to spend my time entertaining the thoughts of what someone who thinks about me who doesn't even care about me and who's not going to do anything for me? Versus someone died and gave their life for me. They gave their very best so that I would have all that is mine. Why don't I care more what he thinks about me? All right. Verse 17. Solomon does another strategic thing. He knows how to keep peace. Watch this. He, when, when, when I, it's very... It's very... It's hard to understand, but they, they're living in a very brutal culture where they're like barbarians so to speak like in the ancient world they're, they're very they're like it wasn't about humanitarian aid it was about like killing people taking their land their women and their children and their goats it was like a different world you know like the world is a better place now i know it's hard for some of us to accept that because we we left you know we 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 read left behind or we watched one of those ridiculous movies that are not true and they made millions of dollars off something that's not true. But that's another message for another time. But we have this idea that the world is getting worse. So we, we don't really understand how it was in the ancient world. Solomon is, there's something that he understands about how to govern. Watch this in verse 17. Then Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land. Is the Bible talking about aliens? Is this E.T.? No. He's talking about foreigners who have migrated. Watch what he does with the foreigners. Then Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census in which David his father had numbered and they were found to be 153,600. And he made 70,000 of them bearers of burdens, 80,000 stone cutters of the mountain and 3,600 overseers to make the people work. What did he do? He took foreigners and put them to work. Why? Because if they're working, if they're doing something, they're going to be peaceful. If they're not doing something, they're going to be disruptive. Go and look in nations where the unemployment rate is high and you have a lot of violence and a lot of poverty and you have a lot of babies out of wedlock and it continues to perpetuate from generation to generation to generation. He did something very strategic in that he said... This could be a potential problem. Instead of it being a problem, I'm anointed to govern and I'm going to appoint them to actually do something and be productive because people who are not productive become a problem. If I was poor and hungry and my kids were hungry, I would be a bad boy. I would be mad, very mad. If my kids did not have food, I would be very, very mad. I would have a big chip on both of my shoulders. I would be very mad. So he prevents that. And goes, instead of you being unproductive and becoming a problem, I'm going to put you to work and you're going to become productive. 
And then they get to be the people who prepare the things for the temple. They get to be a part of something. But to be a part of something greater than what you're a part of, you have to leave where you were. They migrated. <laughs> to be a part of sometimes what God is doing, you have to be able to leave. You have to be willing to leave where you are. Anytime you're going to get where God is sending, you have to be willing to leave where you are. The first thing God said to Abraham, leave your father's house. You have to leave before you can enter into something new. If you're not willing to leave, you're not willing to receive. Solomon, to me, is just so much here about the kingdom of God in his life. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, watch this, on Mount Moriah. Where the Lord appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Aram, the Jebusite. And he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Mount Moriah. Do you know where Mount Moriah is? Mount Moriah is where God said to Abraham, give me your only son Isaac. This is a strategic location. This is a place where God has made provision for, a place where God visited. There's something about places in the Bible. When God says specifically a place, that's the place. Even if it doesn't make sense. Now, Solomon began to build a house on Mount Moriah, the house of the Lord. So, the Lord spoke to Abraham... The Lord provided a ram. The Lord visited David on this same exact mountain. Solomon built on this same mountain. That temple was destroyed and Jesus was crucified there. It later became... Anyway, let me just... Let me stick with this here. Okay. It was a strategic location. Let's, let's just keep it, keep it there. Chapter 4 speaks about the furnishings of the temple. And uh, this temple, if we, if we could see it, 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 would, it would shock us. Because it, it, it gold, gold on the ceiling. And it, 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 was, it was very, you know, it, it, would make, it would make like a Trump Plaza look like a shack. I mean, this like ruby stones, like, like uh, very, very, very extravagant. And it was a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like on earth. God always wanted to dwell on earth. So God wrote the, 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 the pattern of the tabernacle on the spirit of David. And then he brought it forth through the son Solomon. And so it's, it's an on earth as it is in heaven place. You're going to see when they dedicate it what happens. They bring the ark into the temple. In chapter 5, the ark is where the presence of God is. It's where heaven and earth meet. The temple is the place where heaven and earth meet. We are actually heaven and earth people. I don't know if you know that. Sometimes you don't feel that way and sometimes I don't feel that way. But we're, we're, we, are, we are actually more and greater than our feelings because of who Jesus is to us and because of what Jesus did to us for us. We are heaven and earth people. In us, heaven and earth meet. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? The Holy Spirit. The kingdom is a person. Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We are heaven and earth people. So when you're going through hell, remind yourself that you're a heaven and earth person. Let me just jump down. This is very important. This is really... 13. Indeed it came to pass that when the trumpers and the singers were as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, and they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and tr instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever, that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud... 
so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So now, God has always wanted out. I don't know if you know that, but God wants out of you. He wants to live his life through you. It's not just about you getting in, it's also about God getting out. And so, this cloud used to rest upon the ark, but now it has just filled the temple. So the kingdom of God is increasing. There's something that God is doing. He's now living and manifesting himself among his people, which was his original intent in Genesis. The Bible begins in a garden, and the Bible ends in a garden, which is actually a city. God wants out. God doesn't want to just take you up. He wants to come down. We're heaven and earth people. And the presence of the Lord came in such a manifested way that the priests couldn't minister. It's interesting. Watch this. This is very interesting. The priests can't minister, but watch this. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said that he would dwell in, in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell forever. So what's fascinating here is that although the priests can't minister in this type of glory, Solomon can speak from this glory. Moses lived in that. In fact, his face, he had to put a veil over his face when he came down from the mountain because his face was shining. I wonder, I'm not saying this is true, I just wonder if Solomon could speak from that place because his father lived there. I wonder. I wonder the environments that we put our children in, do they live from that place? The environment that we put our children in will be the place that they live from. The voice that we speak to our children with will be the voice that rings in their ear. You may have, it may have been bad for you, it may have been hard on you, but now we have an opportunity to be different. I'm not minimizing the pain, the struggle, the hardship, but we have an opportunity now to live in a certain type of environment where our children live from and speak from that place. You know what? I I can just tell you, I'm just going to just really share my heart for a minute and then I'm going to tie this all together. I just want the presence of God in my life. I I just want God to manifest his presence in this in this church, when I go places, when I go out and preach in other churches, I just want to see the manifest presence of God come in and just mess everything up in a good way. Because we can become so inoculated on self and so that we just, we, we really need a touch from God. We really need to come in and have him come in and kind of shake things up and and kind of mess things up and kind of rearrange us a little. It would be really good for us. I'd love for the presence of God to come and whack this place and everybody on the floor. It would be wonderful. I wouldn't have to press a shirt. I'd wear a hoodie to church. Lay on the floor. I'd bring a little blanket or something. This carpet is nasty. But, I, but I'm telling you sincerely, I, I, I want the presence of God to just come in, come crashing in on us. That's what we need. We don't need better screens. Um, we don't need brighter lights. We need God to come crashing down on us and, and with heavy weight come upon our life and push everything out of us that's not supposed to be there. Because that's what happens when something heavy comes and rests upon you. It pushes other things out. And some of us, we could use some things pushed out of us. Us, not you, us, we. Let me just tie this together and I'll be, we'll be out of here in a few minutes. Ultimately, I'm, I'm not just speaking about Solomon's history so that we can know history. 
It's good to know history, but history, Solomon's history is not going to get you through tomorrow. You need your own wisdom. You need to learn how to make spirit-filled decisions that are based upon being able to read between the lines and being able to discern and being able to see. That's what we need. And here's the thing. Monday's coming. We have to make choices tomorrow. We have to make choices on Tuesday. There's opportunities that we have. There's, there's things at work. Um, and, and it's time. It's time to understand wisdom. And I, I want to just leave you with something that I thought was very, very helpful in, in terms of making a decision. This is from Pastor Andy Stanley. He said this, and I think it is really profound. He said this, In light of my past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? I'm going to read it again. In light of my past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? What is the decision that will cause you not to live with regret? There you go. Put God first. But this is critical because sometimes in life we have choices and it's not like the devil going, ah, it's me, and then God going, I'm right here. Sometimes things don't seem cut and dry. Sometimes an opportunity seems good, but unless you read between the lines, unless you read the fine print, you could miss something. You could have good intentions and still miss it. This is why wisdom is essential because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and we make decisions from a place of understanding that God will hold us accountable, not because he wants to punish us, by the way, actually because he wants to reward us. Jesus came and told us a story about a whole different God. Jesus came and told us a story of a God who's not looking in secret to see if you're flicking on porn. He's actually looking in secret to see if you're doing what is right, not so he can punish you, but so he can reward you openly. We're not, it's not like he's looking to, to like, fry you and smack you with a fly swatter. It's the opposite. He looks to see if you're doing what is right so that he can reward you. He looks to see where no one else can see when you're doing something that no one else can see so that he sees it so that he can reward you openly. It's a very different... We have to really lay hold of the God that Jesus came to reveal. Not, not, uh, not some other thing. 